You've come to the right place. If you're a course creator looking to build more impact, income, and freedom, LMSCast is the number one podcast for course creators just like you. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of the most powerful tool for building, selling, and protecting engaging online courses called Lifter LMS. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name's Chris Badgett and I'm joined by a repeat guest, Grant Worley from monetizemyexpertise.com. How are you doing, Grant? Good. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you back. Um, you're one of those people that we could probably do like a 10-hour episode about course creation and, and just issues people face in this industry and solutions and processes and frameworks to help people. One of the things that's really fascinating about what you do and you offer at your business is that you help experts or would-be course creators or course creators that aren't fully happy what they did on their own kind of do the whole process from the very beginning to figuring out the course, building the course, marketing, launching the course, like you do it all. How do you, like if you're talking to a would-be course creator, how do you describe your service offer? Yeah, it's a good question. I came up with an analogy that I really like and that typically resonates with people, which is um, if you wanted to build a house and you could picture exactly what you wanted your house to look like, and maybe you could draw it on a piece of paper and know how many rooms are going to be and which rooms are going to be which and you know what the color of the drapes are going to be, all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, you wouldn't want to actually then dive in and start to try and like hammer the boards together and build the house yourself. You'd want to hire an architect and a construction crew to actually specialize in um, assembling everything and make sure it's still standing at the end of the day. So that, you know, that's a good analogy for um, kind of how we approach courses, which is we have the skill sets around the you know, architecture or construction of courses. And then the, the clients that we work with, they have the topical expertise and you got to pair the two together, which is something a lot of people don't really think about as they get into courses because they think, you know, I know my topic really well, therefore I can make a really good course, which kind of skips over the fact that the skills of course creation and instructional design, uh, video editing, marketing, all that stuff is a completely separate beast from the actual topic of the material. That's awesome. I think there's a name for that in uh, the cognitive bias world called the fundamental attribution bias, which yeah. is if we're good at something, we think we're good at everything or something like that, which is not yeah. the case because I remember when I was a kid, I went to the woods to build a little cabin and I, you know, laid some logs down crisscross style and I, I you know, it didn't really look like an actual building or even a playhouse. I didn't know what I was doing. And course creators yeah. behave that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got your vision, but you typically need a little bit of help making that vision a reality. Yeah, that's... That's a good point. And one of the things we talk about a lot on this show, <clears throat> it's a framework that I use to help describe and and help people with course creator problems is that you have to wear five hats at once. You have to have the expert hat, which is what you're saying the other person brings to the table. They, they got to bring that hat. But then there's all these other hats. There's the the teacher hat, the instructional designer hat. There's the community builder, you know, the list builder, the launch, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, building community after the sale, if you're going to do some kind of group coaching component or have a community aspect or whatever, there's the technology hat. Uh, and then there's the entrepreneur hat where you have to do marketing and build an actual business and connect bank accounts and not get in trouble for taxes and all these different things. There's a lot of hats that have to be worn 
And I think I love your analogy about construction because a lot of uh, most of us don't build our own house. We realize that it takes some expertise to do those various trades. Um, yeah, that's that's a that's a great um, it's a great service. And really, the five hats problem is not the big mistake is doing it, trying to do it all alone, and not building a team or getting hiring other companies to help with all that. I've definitely noticed that with the people that have the big launches or the big programs or the course that's in business year after year, they're definitely not doing it alone. Yeah, exactly. And that doesn't even get into like the five hats within each of those five hats. There's probably like 10 more sub hats. hats. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Like course creation, video editing, graphic design, instructional design, writing a curriculum. Um, there's like, you know, a dozen things within each of those categories too, that you have to do well to make the end result positive. So um, there's a lot of things you got to think through to make sure it works well. And you're right. Uh, everyone I know who has like a very successful course uh, or a course business that um, they either have uh, built a team over time uh, or, you know, they work with a, another company. Basically, it's very rare to find somebody who sat down by, you know, alone in the dark behind a computer screen late at night and then ended up building something that was really effective. Because at the very least, if you think about it, um, just doing that has the, the one immediate problem of, um, kind of getting out of your own head and, and the fact that you're probably very familiar with your topic and you're, you're an expert on that topic, but it's very hard to go back to think, okay, if I was starting from scratch and learning this step one, step two, step three, step four, it's really hard for people who are very familiar with the topic to actually like take a step back and do that. Um, so at the very least, you know, even if you're not going to hire somebody or a company to work with, uh, it's very helpful to at least like, you know, be sharing with somebody like a friend, uh, you know, as you're building it to like, describe it to them and sort of teach them as you build it. Um, that way you can see if it actually makes sense to, to somebody who's not an expert on the topic. Yeah, the, uh, the curse of knowledge or expertitis, it has, it has a lot of different names. It's very dangerous to what I say is uh, when a course creator goes into a cave for like months to create the mm -hmm. course, it's a very dangerous time uh, to spend too much time alone without getting feedback from. Exactly. Uh, I love that idea of like, even if you don't have any customers yet, make sure somebody off the street is can learn from you. Yeah, I mean, m most people are building a course after having worked with clients directly, either as like an agency or uh, like consulting clients or, or what have you. Like just find three of those who are willing to like, um, like you're gonna give this to, the, to them for free as you build it, you just want their honest feedback. and That'll make it like 10 times better immediately. That was a great tip. That's worth the price of admission and we're just getting started here. That's there awesome. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, course creators often come from the one-on-one -on -one consulting world or they run like maybe in-person workshops at corporations or retreats or whatever. Um, and th th are there authors, you know, experts in, who publish on a certain topic? Um, and you also mentioned uh, that you help people who tried to do it themselves and they're, they, cut, they had the hard truth and they hit that wall and they're like, okay, I'm ready to, you know, work with a professional to help launch this. Could you talk about when you someone brings you in for an to look at a course they're not happy with, what are the main issues that uh what did they do wrong? Yeah, it's a good question. Um I'd say there's probably two main categories and I can kind of tell this through two client examples. Uh one is like uh I think I have a case study about this too. Um, it was one of our clients a, a couple years back named Nigel, who, uh, in his own words, spent um, a year 
and uh, something like this ridiculous amount of money, like $50,000, like taking courses about courses um, and like thousands of hours of work, like scribbling all these notes and all these different ideas. And at the end of the year, again, in his own words, he was no closer to having a, a completed course. He was just like 50K in the hole and a whole bunch of wasted time. And then he came to us and was like, okay, well, let's actually like build this. Um, so that, that's one common scenario, just getting kind of overwhelmed and just hitting a wall and not even like getting it done. The second one um, was a little bit different. So uh, with this client, who we're actually still working with, we're, we're going to be working with a couple new projects. Um, it's uh, the, the organization behind uh, T. Harv Ecker, the, the millionaire mindset guy. Mm -hmm. um, and they have a lot of really great programs. A lot of them are based off of the, uh, the, the in-person workshops that they, they ran. Um, and so we've worked on two of their programs, essentially like refurbishing them uh, because they were largely, uh, again, recording those in-person events. The, uh, the design wasn't the gr as good as it could be. The, the sound quality wasn't that great in some instances. There was these long hour and a half blocks of, of video. Um, and so what we did was we worked with them to essentially like break it down into, you know, more like you would intentionally do creating a course, a series of shorter lessons to, to go through, um, creating workbooks and, you know, pretty things to make it look professional. Um, and, and a couple other things like that. And the, the results they got from that were, were really great because it dramatically increased the uh, engagement of the, the users as they could track it going through the course material, uh, as well as dramatically decreasing the refund rates. So, you know, the extra sort of cherry on the top can make a big difference in some cases. Yeah, that's awesome. So the couple things I heard there too, which are, um, if you do a live event or a workshop, and I've done this, I have courses in the um, organic gardening niche, permaculture, where I would show up oh, no, I didn't know with, that. <laughs> with a uh, camera, a video camera, or I would find someone on Craigslist to go film an in-person workshop. But the truth is, like you're saying, <clears throat> it's not really designed for the at-home computer taking or computer course taker. You're uh, you're just repurposing a live workshop, which is good and adds a lot of value, but it could be so much better if you put some of that polish on there like you're talking about. And the other, the other cool thing too is the, um, I, I think that's a brilliant idea. I mean, some people come from the workshop space and they're like tired of traveling, sleeping on planes and hotels, and they just want to figure out how to get it online. In some ways, they have it a lot easier because they've already validated with like live audiences. So if you're like an expert, but not really a teacher and you haven't really done the workshop thing, I mean, maybe try doing a workshop before you try going online just to validate and work with real people, have that feedback loop wide open so you can literally see if somebody's like get picking up what you're laying down or not. I think that's a, it's just really yeah, for sure. And I mean, at the very least, like if you do record live workshops, um, it's better than nothing. So, I mean, <laughs> obviously it can be better, but if that's all you can do, it's, at least it's a start for like a version 1.0. Yeah. Um, you also do something um, called an audit. Like, and this is making sure people don't go into the cave for the wrong thing or what, is, what, I guess, what, can you tell us more about your audit process? Yeah. So this is when somebody comes to us and again, they're one of those two scenarios where they have a, a concept for a course that they want to create, or they have a course that they've already created. That's not as good as it could be. Um, and also they're a little bit hesitant about, um, kind of getting a sense of the lay of the land as to whether or not, you know, the, you know, building a course is a, is a large initiative in your business, right? It takes many months. Um, it's a significant of, uh, investment of time and energy and financially as well, if you're going to do it right. Um, and so people oftentimes want to make sure that makes sense 
um, especially from an opportunity cost perspective, that the other things that they could be doing with their time or, or uh, their marketing budget, for example, uh, makes sense to allocate there versus somewhere else. So in some cases, when clients come to us, they're very interested in, in making a course, but they are a little bit hesitant for that reason, and they want to kind of see it all laid out. Um, we do what we call an audit and a project plan, which is essentially going through either the existing material or the concept that they have for it, and then uh, we build out this report, which is essentially all the different milestones. Um, this is the project plan part. All the different milestones associated with building a really effective course, and we essentially lay out like here's the exact plan that we, uh, as an agency professional service provider, would follow to to build this really effectively. Here's a little bit of market research about it, so you can kind of get a sense of what the ROI might be, um, and basically laying it all out so they can kind of get a sense of it as a whole and um, feel comfortable about whether or not to move forward. Um, and they can either take that and just sort of, you know, share it with their team and follow that plan or bring it back to us and say they want us, our help to execute it. That's brilliant. It's like going back to the house analogy. It's like, let's, before we swing a hammer or go buy anything, let's draw up some, a plan. Yeah. It's the blueprint essentially of the house. That is, that is really cool. Well, if someone moves forward with you, like how do you help break and cure expertitis? Like how do you, like what are your top tips around curriculum design for an expert that has spent so much time, like just being awesome that they forgot and maybe they're not trained as a teacher. Like how do you help chunk things out into lessons? Yeah, good question. So I can kind of tell you the process that we follow and there's a pretty close parallel to this that you can follow if you're going to do it uh, independently as well. Um, so what we do is we, we gather all the reference material that they have. So it might be a published book or you know, in-person workshop materials or recordings of workshops, things like that. We go through all of that and we set up a series of um, interview-based content development uh, calls essentially to, to pick their brain and start pulling out anecdotes and, and ideas that are going to become the Lego blocks that we start to, to build everything out of. Um, and the parallel to that would be, again, um, having sending this to existing clients or to friends and setting up a series of conversations where you're essentially going to talk them through the ideas and then find the points where uh, it doesn't make sense or you kind of skip over something really quickly or it's kind of out of order from their perspective, from a learner perspective. Um, so that can be quite help, helpful as well. Uh, and then from that, so we've, we've gathered all the Lego blocks. Um, then we, we have a couple of processes and, and structures that we can kind of start breaking it down into. So for example, um, and I actually like to do this through a series of, of frameworks or, or questions that kind of like lead to what the answer should be. So um, who exactly uh, is the client avatar coming into this course? What's the point A that they're coming in and the exact point B that by the end of this course, you will have done or understand X, Y, and Z. Um, and then break that down into five to 10 steps. So, you know, point A to point B, what are the five to 10 steps along the way? And that usually maps pretty closely onto what the modules could be. And then from for each of those modules, okay, like the first step is setting up um, a WordPress site. And then like for that module, um, what are the five to 10 sub steps to get from point A to point B of that module? And that usually becomes the lessons uh, for each of those lessons, like step one, uh, create a WordPress account, like what are the three to five uh, small steps, which become the, like the main points of the lesson. And that pretty nicely maps onto what a curriculum can be. That is beautiful. That was probably the best I've ever heard of like 
curriculum design and like how to create that structure in such a short amount of time. That's, that's incredible. I have these conversations a lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. And, and am I correct that you like you're actually, your company is capturing lesson content from the expert anywhere in the world, or do you do it on location or what, do you, how does it work? Yeah. So primarily um, virtually through you know, zoom calls and, and things like that. In terms of the actual um, video production side of things, um, the majority of them aren't like purely sort of talking head in the studio. Um, they usually have some pieces of that, but it's pretty rare that the whole thing is that way. Um, but for, for the segments where it's that, um, then we oftentimes coordinate with the local uh, video studio in their area. Um, but the rest of it, where if it's like slide based or screencast or, or what have you, it's very, very easy to do um, just kind of in your own house with a laptop and a microphone. Um, so it's pretty simple to do virtually, which is pretty nice because I live in Colombia. <laughs> That's awesome. And how do <clears throat> how do people know? I see people get hung up on this question of the content type. So you mentioned talking head. There's screen sharing. There's PowerPoint. There's animation. Uh, there's like audio only. There's you know text. Um, you know workbooks, uh, infographics, and I don't know. I'm sure I'm missing some. What, like, how do you know which media you should use? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's a little bit of a subjective answer in, in some situations, but, but the way that I typically start out um, answering this question or exploring this topic is um, given whatever the topic of the, say, the lesson is, um, what's the best way to actually communicate that? Not just like, how can I make it look flashy by being you know, in a studio with a suit and crazy yeah. overlay animations or something, but like, what's the actual most effective way to communicate this in a way that makes sense? To get this case, point across, like if you're gonna, yeah. if, it, if the goal number one is to like install WordPress, you don't want yeah. somebody in a suit talking about- Yeah, it's very hard to verbally <laughs> talk through how to install WordPress. So yeah. that would be most likely, you know, maybe there's a couple slides to like lay out the main ideas and then a screencast, right? Like it's, yeah. it's pretty clear that's the, the result. There's some situations where it could kind of go either way, but it's typically, is this a situation where it's more powerful to do it like live? So oftentimes that's um, if you're telling a story of a client or some kind of anecdote or, or trying to like connect with them as a person or talking about your own story, oftentimes it's a little bit more effective if you're sort of showing your face. Um, if it's something that's more like here are the main like literal points or like you're showing up algebra formula or something again, probably want to see that visually as you're talking about it as well. That is awesome. Well, <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about the marketing and launching of the course. Um, what, do, what do people get wrong? What do you see as like, yeah. And just like, I don't know. One, one thing I say sometimes is the launch of the course is the starting line. It's not the finish line or whatever. I mean, there's still a lot of other work to do. Like, how do you help people be set up for success when it comes to the actual selling of the course or having an audience to sell to? Yeah, good question. Um, I usually break that down. Um, I like to like distill things down to like concrete things. If you notice, um, I usually break it down into two primary things. One is the, um, the, sort of like funnel leading into the sale of the course um, for, for the marketing. And then the second part is the driving of the traffic to that funnel. Um, and so those are, if you're going to think about it as two main steps, um, everything kind of falls within those categories. And um, there's a bunch of different ways to do both of those, but 
if you just kind of understand that's the starting point and you need really those two things because it's kind of hard to drive traffic straight to a core sales page and have somebody buy it. Um, it's also hard to make sales if you have a funnel but no traffic going there. Um, and then with, and so the funnel one, that's like, there's a bunch of different ways to do that. You, you could probably just Google online course sales funnel and find some good uh, diagrams or something. What, if you could describe like a, like what would sort of just a generic funnel for a course creator be? Um, I'm sure it depends on the topic and stuff, but like, could you just describe the outline? Sure. Of and I actually give, we have some like uh, diagrams that kind of lay it out. Um, it's sort of a flow chart. So that might, I'd be happy to like send that to you as well. If you want to like include those images That'd be great. Uh, along, alongside this, but um, in terms of sort of like the, the structure, the skeleton of it, uh, there's probably two most common ones. One is, um, you know, opt in to like this free mini course or like, short video series or in some cases articles, but um, so that might be uh, three or four, you know, very short clips, which are kind of leading up to, to the sale of the course. Um, and the, the logic there is, um, you know, obviously you're capturing their email, you're kind of nurturing them along through the, the lessons and also the autoresponder, which is going to follow along with that. And again, all of it kind of leads to, to the, the sales page on the course by the end of that process. And the idea is that you're essentially trying to educate people exactly to the point they need to be to buy the course. And um, the, the reason why I say that is because in a lot of circumstances, education is required to get to the point to be ready to, to make a purchase because you know you have to educate people uh, about their problem, about what the solutions could be. Maybe they don't even really understand, like they don't have the problem well-defined in their head or the goal that they're after. And so you're like defining what is possible. <laughs> and and then, edu uh, education based marketing is not new. I mean, if you buy yeah. a car or a house or whatever, I mean, whoever's like helping facilitate that sale is educating you on like, Oh, well, this is what this thing does. And you might need exactly. this. It's and that they can trust you, it's, yeah. you know, to give them good information and stuff like that. So you're kind of leading them along that process to then be ready to, to buy the course. The, the other main uh, funnel is, is more of a webinar based funnel and this can kind of be combined in a way where you have like the three video lessons culminating in a webinar or just focusing really strictly on the webinar. Um, and again, the, the, the logic there is pretty similar, uh, similar. It's just kind of a different format. So, um, the, the process that you're educating them through to be ready to buy the course is just done through the webinar versus the, the video lessons. Um, and both of them, uh, opt-in page, thank you page, course sales page, uh, autoresponder sequence kind of following along. Those are kind of like some of the main pieces that go into that. Is there any particular reason why somebody might be better fit for webinar versus the email mini course or the, the launch series course? Yeah, good question. I haven't, I haven't distilled that one down to like a nice pithy sentence yet, but, yeah. um, but essentially I would say, um, hmm. Think about what you need to educate them to get them to be ready to, to buy the course. And then it, think about, like, is that better communicated, again, through a couple short videos or through an all-in-one webinar? Um, and there's some other factors. So that, that might kind of give you an idea as to, to which way to go. Um, and so there might be some other factors, too, right? Like the overall marketing strategy that you're using. So is it, is it um, a, a launch like where you're doing it live or is it an evergreen funnel? Um, so an evergreen funnel, you either got to use an evergreen webinar or the, the video sequence. Um, if it's more of a launch, then it might be more effective to do a webinar, especially if there's like time-based discounts and, you know, like you're trying to get them to like 
buy now at the end of the webinar for some specific reason in terms of your overall marketing strategy. So those would be a couple things to consider that might kind of help uh, go one way or the other. That's really awesome. I think another one too there might be uh, attention span. Like it's easier to commit to like just some mini <clears throat> video lessons coming through really quick versus committing to an hour webinar. But if there's some like big burning problem that the course solves, you might be able to get away with like the longer form content or whatever right out of the box. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's a good point, which is like what at the end of the day is going to make it easiest for you to follow through. Because if you really, really, really hate um, doing live presentations and really don't want to do a webinar, but you feel like you should, maybe not the best approach, even if it might be slightly, slightly more effective just because you'll hate doing it. So you might not actually end up doing it. So that's, that's a good point. Preferences matter. In my experience with webinars, too, I think it's a mistake to um, like make it evergreen too early. Like you really have to run. If you're going to do a webinar, ideally, you'd want to do it like many times before you even think about automating it because it's a learning process. You'll realize based on the questions you get um, and just how the audience responds, it's going to evolve over time. So I think that's For an sure. issue with people is just automating too early sometimes. Well, I wanted to ask you, somebody as obsessed as me about course creation, about course pricing. This is like a burning question people ask who want to build a course or do a training-based membership site or whatever. They, they're like, how much should I charge? So how do you answer that one? Yeah, it's always a funny question because it's one that people get really hung up on in a way that's like, doesn't even make sense sometimes. Because um, So the thing about courses is that um, you know, there's not really a, well, I guess the, you have a cost of marketing or like the cost of customer acquisition, but to a large extent, like the, the pricing is somewhat subjective because you don't have a cost of delivering the, the, the goods essentially, uh, again, except marketing. Um, so for that reason, you know, there's a couple things to think about. One would be, you know, how much are you investing into marketing? So for example, if you're running paid ads that can kind of, um, you can kind of, reverse engineer what the price might need to be based off of like, how much does a Facebook ad cost? What would the uh, average conversion rate be from that ad? And then kind of work out what's the cost of customer acquisition. And then maybe it's like $600, but you're planning to charge $500 for your course. And then you realize the numbers don't work. So that, that could be one way to think about it. Um, the other way to think about it is just essentially like, what is, what is the perceived value and your customer's ability to pay? So uh, perceived value and not just like, I'm going to make it flashy so I can charge a million dollars for it, but just like the, the result that you're helping them achieve, how worthwhile is, the, is that to them? If you're going to help them generate 100K in extra revenue in their business, um, you could probably get away with charging quite a bit for that if you can reliably do that, right? Like, because 10K would still be a 10X return a year. Um, and then the other thing is the ability to pay. So even if it's um, something objectively worth 100K, but they're, um, a 12 year old kid that has $20 in their bank account and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day either. So those are going to be a couple of things to think about. Yeah, that's, those are really good points. Um, value-based pricing, knowing your audience and, uh, knowing your expenses. I think it's easy to underestimate, especially in a digital world, like, you know, the hosting, the advertising, the, you know, your email marketing service, all that. It, it can, you can have a big profit margin, but all that, stuff adds up the more you the longer you're an online business i've noticed that like just the months i just call it for me i just call it the monthly SaaS expense the the software that i use for just to run my online business 
it adds up. <laughs> like you yeah, need to take you true. need to take those expenses seriously. For sure. And um, oh, there's one other thing I was gonna say. Uh, oh yeah, which is you also can't. Which is another thing that's easy to do. Like skip over you know, pricing out or valuing your own time because oh, you're spending lots of time yeah. creating it or maintaining it in one way or another. Um, and if you're not factoring in the cost of that, because you're not actually paying it out of pocket, but you know, say you value your time at $25 an hour and you're spending a hundred hours a month creating or maintaining the community or, or whatever, that also adds up and it sh should be something factored into the, to the profit margin. Yeah. And especially if you're going to offer any kind of like group coaching or even private coaching as part of the offer, like you, you're on the hook after the sale to do that, especially if it's just a monthly forever kind of pricing model. So you really want to take that into account. Um, let's talk a little bit about traffic. You mentioned Facebook ads, like what's your go-to for traffic? I mean, there's like, you can have other content on your site, like blog stuff or whatever, where you're going for just organic Google indexing you, just kind of organic traffic. You can pay Facebook, you can pay Google ad, Google pay-per-click or whatever. Um, you can do affiliate marketing, um, joint venture partnerships. Like what's, what do you see as the most effective for course creators? And I guess I'm sure it depends on where they're at and what, they're, what stage they're at, but what, what, what seems to be working? Yeah, good question. Um, so actually, the the paid advertising is definitely not the first thing that I start with uh, for our clients and just in, as recommendations in general, because, you know, a lot of um, a, a lot of industries are just like really expensive. And unless you're like really, really good at um, paid advertising, which is not like my foremost specialty. So, I, you know, it's incorporated in some cases, especially like retargeting ads, because that's pretty straightforward how to do and it's pretty easy to get that to be profitable but in terms of like I'm gonna pay Facebook to generate cold leads uh, to to my course sales page and hope that some percentage of them buy it that can be a kind of a, a risky or expensive proposition if you bet incorrectly so the way the way that I think about the traffic piece is um, essentially uh, your existing audience somebody else's audience um, outbound and inbound you can kind of break those up into categories uh, first and foremost, using your own audience, if you have one in any ways, is obviously like really, really, really effective. Um, it doesn't really take that many people on an email list to have a successful course launch. Um, the, the, the metrics for that um, can work out really, really nicely, and you don't have to have a 10,000 person email list to, to make that successful. And you can also think about the other uh, types of audiences that you have. Maybe you have a whole bunch of reach on social media, and there's a couple other ways to do that too. Um, the second one is other people's audiences. So like you mentioned, JV partnerships. Um, there's different ways to kind of recruit people. Like I'm going to reach out to 10 uh, other experts in this industry and kind of get some bonus content from them and you know, kind of get recruit them to promote the course when it goes up. And we're, we're going to work out some kind of partnership agreement. So they're excited to do that. It's a little bit hard to get people to reliably follow through with that. But obviously, it's a big win if you can get a couple people with decent sized audiences. Um, outbound and inbound. Um, inbound would be things like you mentioned, like the like producing content to have people organically come in. Um, that's also kind of a long-term proposition. Um, and it's pretty straightforward as to like the best practices for doing that. But it, again, it's something you want to uh, incorporate with things that'll be more effective in the short term. And then there's the outbound, um, which is something I think a lot of people overlook. And if you have a more expensive uh, course offering, especially if it's like um, like a, a Business B2B, you know, 
um, executive training, corp, uh, corporate manager, you know, sales training, like stuff like that, where you can um, pretty easily find and target and reach out to people in those types of markets that would be very, very interested, especially if you have a very well-defined customer avatar. Um, things like, you can actually just do uh, outreach like through LinkedIn um, and you can find sales managers and say like, hey, I have this um, three video sequence, which is the, the funnel that we just talked about that I just wanted to send to you because I noticed you're a sales manager. Um, here's some results that my clients have gotten from implementing what we talked about. Um, you can just kind of reach out to people in a very scalable way through LinkedIn, for example. <coughs> Sorry. Um, and so there's, there's different channels that you can do the outreach through, um, but those will be a couple different categories and things to think about for each category. Yeah, that's awesome. Outbound, I agree with you. It's highly underrated. And it, I think maybe if some people have had a bad experience with like cold, somebody cold calling them, that's not relevant. But if you're hyper relevant and like you have something that can genuinely help that particular type of person, it's just totally underutilized in the space, especially if you're an expert in an industry and you don't have any kind of sales background, it just feels really strange and foreign, but it's, it's actually like as old as time to like, yeah. you know, help people that you can help. For sure. And you don't need to call cold call people. Like I, I do quite a bit of um, outbound lean generation for, for our business and also on behalf of our clients courses as well. Um, and you know, you don't have to be spammy about it. You don't even have to necessarily call people. You can, set up some systems to be like, okay, based on this type of uh, demographic, um, there's a pretty high percentage chance they'd be interested in this thing that I have for them. Um, and you can just do it in a pretty genuine, helpful way. And some percentage is gonna convert. And again, if it's a very high ticket uh, course price, like it's a thousand dollar course, then it doesn't really take that high of a percentage conversion rate to make those numbers work out really well. Um, so it can get, get pretty exciting if you start to actually do some back, back of the napkin math. Yeah, it's an excellent point. I mean, uh, if you have not that big of an audience, but let's say your course is a thousand dollars, I mean, a hundred people, a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred people isn't that many people. Like, it really isn't. <laughs> yeah, and if you have like a one percent con conversion rate, and you know, you can work out the math as to how many people that would take the target, and you break that down into like, okay, I'm going to send a message to like ten people a day or something, um, in a helpful way, and you know, you can, you can add it up pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, any other like lead magnet advice or just like if we are doing outbound, like we've got like something they can opt into. Is there, is there any other like kind of like what's, what else seems to be working at the top of the funnel? Any, any ideas or tips there? In terms of uh, what's the most effective way to get people to opt in? Yeah. Like if there could be a mini course or there's the webinar, do you see any other things that people are using? ebooks or I like on your site if if what grant is saying if you're if you're really resonating with this or you're interested in, in maybe this audit experience go check out monetizemyexpertise.com there's a consult that you can get on a call schedule a call right mm -hmm. yeah so like, that's one thing you can do as well yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, obviously there's a whole bunch of different things you can do you mentioned quite a few um and actually just to circle back uh one second is if you do it in the right way Outreach can actually be a way to build an email list um, for the people who now 
been verbally interested in one way or another in, in what you have to do. So I know it's not like the traditional uh, internet marketing style of like they put in their email, but it's it's one way of doing that. You got to like think about the, the exact rules about how that works. But um, so so that would be one thing that's a little bit outside the box. I think as to what most people think about. Um, and then yeah, just traditionally like giving something away that's valuable. So that might be a call, might be some piece of content in one format or another. Um, maybe. Uh, like being able to tap into uh, other, like for example, the attendance list of um, um, a, a certain type of workshop that you ran uh, or that somebody else ran and that, you know, they kind of mentioned that um, they, they talked about you and, and, you know, got people to like volunteer to, to find out more information about what you do. There, there's different ways to think about that, but the general principle is pretty much standard, which is like, what can I give away that's helpful and valuable um, and that would kind of like grab people's attention. And I guess one other thing about that that I think might be helpful um, that maybe people haven't uh, thought about before, which is it's not just like what is most helpful to them, but it's also ha have you bought enough of their attention span to like give them something helpful? So um, when you think about marketing stuff, you got to grab their attention enough to be able to like give them something because if you say, you know, I just, I'm giving you like four hours of content <laughs> like about sales training or whatever. Like, well, like I don't have not, time for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless they've bought into you or to what you have to offer. That's actually, so how do you do that? How do you, how do you earn the right to give them something? How do you do that? Yeah. Well, there, there's obviously lots of ways to do that, but the, but the most important thing is like, if I were to, um, like type in or like create a headline for something, whether it's an email, like a, a, a landing page or, you know, a LinkedIn message or whatever. Um, like how could you write down some kind of value proposition that would make people in your target market go, Oh, this is interesting. I'm, I, I'm now bought into enough of what you do to at least like spend five minutes watching like a single short video or, or something like that. But you got to like grab them. You got to hook them with that first before you just start like throwing random stuff at them. Cause otherwise people won't watch it. Um, and I think that's a mistake a lot of people make, which is like how much stuff can I throw at people? Um, cause that's more valuable, but it's not unless you've done the hook part first of it. That's a really good point. I think a key thing to help with the, that hook is the um, when you talk about whatever the pain point is that your course solves or the uh, the opportunity, you know, the that it offers, and you verbalize that through the headline or um, to, so that it, it really grabs their attention. Like uh, I don't, I'm just thinking of like, let's say you're targeting brand new parents, and you say something about. Um, you, you tap into like how all your time goes away and there's like no time for anything anymore. And that someone's feeling that, but hasn't even really verbalized that yet. Um, that could be a very powerful hook. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the way I put it, um, cause I was going through this exercise with one of our clients just the other day. Um, if you were to just like sit down with somebody in your target market and do something with them for like 15 to 30 minutes, which would get them excited enough to like, spend $500 to take your course. Like what, what would be the, the topics that you would hit to make them go, ooh, and like, you know, that, that little moment where their eyes light up and they're like, yes, that's exactly like what I've been struggling with and what I'm annoyed about or like what I'm really excited about. Um, and you can just like, if you can hit that, um, actually a, a good way to, a good reference point for that is actually um, sales. Um, so the, the book, The Challenger Sale, which is a fantastic uh, sales book and kind of actually hits on a lot of stuff. Um, but there's one thing I really got from that book that I love, which is um, searching for those those moments where you kind of hit on 
some kind of um, hidden problem or opportunity that they haven't even told you about because you're just so familiar with the topic and you know their situation or whatever. And you can kind of like find those moments and you go like, boom. And then they go, whoa, yes, that's it, exactly. And then, then you like got them in the sense that, again, they're, they're bought into you enough to like kind of keep going to the next step. That's awesome. And you're probably, you watching or listening to this right now are having some of those moments right now where you're hearing two people who are obsessed with course cre- creation and the process and the people really dig into it. Yeah, um, now buy our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one, one other thing I wanted to ask you about was um, I just want to go back to this problem that I call the five hats problem where people just try to, they DIY, they try to do it themselves like too much or for too long. Um, and I've seen this similarly in the, the, the people who want to write books niche, but in my opinion, like making a course is even harder than writing a book. So much harder. Uh, a lot of us, myself included, are like, you know, I'd love to be like a published author. And at first it's like, I got this, you know, I got plenty to say about topic X, but why, I mean, I was just wondering if you could speak to that problem a little more, like, or what do you see as like the turning point where people say enough is enough, like I need some help with launching my course or like what, what happens when people realize that they shouldn't go it alone? Yeah, good question. Um, but actually just to circle back one second, it is very true that, um, it's, it's quite similar to books, but courses are much harder. And I can say that cause I've done both. Yeah. I spent a week just to see if I could publish a book and, and I did, and it was so much easier than building a course. I can objectively say that. And I also know people who run book publishing companies, but anyways, if you think about it, it's like the, the, the curriculum or the lesson plans of a course is essentially like, that's a pretty close par- parallel to the text of a book. And that's just one small piece of the course. <laughs> so, but anyways, uh, to answer your question about like what's the turning point as to, to when people like realize that they need help, um, oftentimes it's, uh, well, one, when they're kind of presented with the, the fact that that's true and that they have some option for getting help with, which I think is part of, the, part of the problem with this, which is I think a lot of people have the assumption that they have to build their own course and they have to kind of do it to a large extent on their own. Um, because that would be the, sort of like the logical assumption that you would make because you know your topic, right? So nobody else could make your course for you. Just like theoretically, nobody else could, could write your book, but there's a lot of companies that do just that actually. Uh, <laughs> but, it, but it's a weird thing that you got to wrap your mind around a little bit first. So that would be one part. And the second thing I think is just people who just sit down and try and do it and then realize, one, this is just not turning out how I wanted at all for, for whatever reason. I'm just not happy with it. Uh, or two, I, you just kind of hit a brick wall and you kind of get stuck some, at some point along the way. And then you realize, you know, I, I really got to get some help here. Um, and to, to kind of add on to that as well, like uh, a simple exercise to go through. And I actually wrote a, a really long, uh, long form sort of blog post about this, about the different options for building a course. It's sort of a cost benefit analysis of the different ways of doing it. Because there is a cost of doing it yourself. If you are a $200 per hour lawyer or something, or like even a, a $50 per hour consultant, every hour that you're spending doing that, right? Like that's, you're sort of losing out on that revenue. And that, that is a cost that goes into it. And so if you're going to spend thousands of hours over the next six months doing this, you got to kind of like do a cost benefit analysis of if that really makes sense to do. At the very least, things like things that are easy to find contractors to, to help out with, like some of the smaller pieces, like doing the graphic design of the slides or editing some videos. Those are things that, you know, for every hour that you save doing that, if you're, if you're 
um, paying like a, a $25 per hour video editor, your time's worth um, $50 per hour. That's a really good, you know, kind of return on that, that time and that um, difference in, in cost. Yeah, and it goes exponential too. The, um, those opportunity costs, that video editor may be cheaper, but also 10 times faster than you at video editing because you don't, exactly. <laughs> I mean, do you, you really want to learn video editing and uh, like, you know, instructional design, all the like, just there's so much to learn to do it yourself. Um, the, the opportunity cost is, it's, it's not the most obvious as like the clear financial cost or whatever, but I think at the end of the day is the opportunity cost that gets people or where they wake up, you know, weeks, months, years later and, and without much progress or not enough progress, or it could have been so much faster or better. Um, that they yeah, exactly. And like. the way I usually put it in a question, which is like, do you really want to, um, become a course expert or do you just want to have a course because <laughs> those are two very different things right uh, if you're that's, building that's your job that's grant's job <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's my job and it's your job on the tech, tech, technology side of things yeah um, and that's what we chose to, to specialize in um, but at the end of the day most people they just want to have the course just like they want to have the published book they don't necessarily want to like go through the process and become an expert on the process itself unless they're planning to spend the next 10 years pumping out lots of courses and books, then it would make sense. That's awesome. Well, Grant Worley, thank you so much for coming back on the show. That's monetizemyexpertise.com. Is there anything else, any final thoughts or places for people to go to connect with you? Oh uh, yeah, I guess I'd just say, um, check it out. We have some, some good case studies, um, that kind of break down some of the, some of this stuff uh, as well. Like, uh, one of them goes through an exact, uh, launch process that one of our clients went through that was very successful. Um, a couple other case studies that a lot of people find helpful and can derive really useful lessons from. And also, also as you mentioned, there's some places where they can uh, schedule to, to book a call with somebody on our team. So if, if, for example, you're listening to this and you kind of fit into that category of you're very interested in having a course <laughs> uh, done or, or made or, or to, to be able to utilize in your business, um, and you'd like to kind of explore that a little bit further and you're hesitant for some reason, um, go to our website and, and book a call if you'd like to kind of explore that a bit further and see if it makes sense one way or the other. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming back on the show, Grant. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Um, thanks for having me on again. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I hope you enjoyed the show. This show was brought to you by Lifter LMS the number one tool for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online courses to help you get more revenue, freedom, and impact in your life. Head on over to lifterlms.com and get the best gear for your course creator journey. Let's build the most engaging results getting courses on the internet.